0: Welcome to episode 48 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability, the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hey folks, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening today. Before we get into this episode, just want to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping and update you on a couple of things. Uh, It took me a little bit longer than expected uh, to release this episode, uh, a much wider gap between um, episode releases than I would typically like. But uh, a few things that had come up for me that prolonged me releasing this episode. uh, One was uh, an incident where uh, I. Ended up destroying my last computer, so luckily I was able to save this file, um, an interview with Ted Kuntz that I'm about to share with you, and a whole bunch of other content that uh, that I've recorded and I'm excited to share with you in the coming uh, weeks and months here. So, a uh, bit of a delay there, uh, so my apologies on that. Also, my sister Sarah uh, has moved out of my parents' home and in with me, which has been uh, quite the exciting adventure, and it's been awesome to see the growth that Sarah's had in a very short amount of time. Uh, but that's taken a lot of my uh, attention. So, um, but definitely worth it and placed in the right Spot. So uh, thanks for your patience on that. Uh, The other thing that I want to share with you in the last housekeeping item is that I'm creating a way for you to contribute to this work if you so please and if it's something that is within your means. So uh, I will be sharing more on that in the coming months as well as an update to the website to make it more user friendly. Uh, So look out for those things and um, I will update you as they come. In the coming weeks. Okay, so now on to this week's episode. Uh, This week, our guest is Ted. Kuntz. Ted is a gifted psychotherapist, and he's also an author of uh, at least two books. Uh, so the first one is Peace Begins With Me, and the second is Eight Weeks to a Better Relationship. Uh, Ted has his master's degree in counseling psychology and more than 25 years in as experience as a clinician and consultant. However, much of Ted's wisdom has really come from his personal experience as a father of Uh, His son, Josh, who had uh, severe uh, disabilities and really Ted shares with us uh, his journey with his son, Josh, and how that's changed his life and really transformed his life and how disability has led to his personal transformation. So that's what this episode is all about personal transformation and disability. It's a really engaging conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. There is lots of rich insights coming from this conversation. So now I met Ted at Partners for Planning's event, The Art of Resilience, uh, this past, I believe, February uh, 2018. And um, I had the privilege of seeing Ted speak at the Art of Belonging, uh, held by, again, Partners for Planning in 2017. And it was one of the most inspiring talks that I've ever um, been witness to. And this year when I met Ted, I, I shared that I was at his talk last year, and you know I was moved by it and, and really touched by his story and the insights that he shared and how vulnerable he was, and I thanked him for that. And I, I mentioned to Ted that I had picked up his book, Peace Begins With Me, and embarrassingly that i I hadn't read it yet but uh i admitted that to ted for whatever reason and i told him that i was going to read the book and that um i would love to the opportunity to have him on the podcast and uh ted and i both held up to our promises and i'm excited to to bring you this conversation with ted hey ted welcome to the empowering ability podcast happy to have you on today
1: Oh, Eric, I'm really looking forward to my conversation with you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited uh, to be chatting with you as well. And um, I guess where I first learned about you, Ted, was at uh, the Art of Belonging event in Toronto uh, held by Partners for Planning about a year ago. And Mm -hmm. um, I was just super moved by... Your talk and you sharing your story of, of your journey with your son, Joshua. So I would love to be able to um, give you the opportunity to share um, just a little bit about you and, and, and your story with, um, with the audience today.
1: Yes. I'm just thinking back to that evening as well, Eric, that was such a, a rich evening of uh, people celebrating um, their relationships with their loved ones with a disability. I've had the good fortune to be uh, a father to Joshua. Um, um, You know, it's been a very challenging journey, but it's also been a very rich journey. But I have to uh, be honest that it it took me a while to fully uh, appreciate and, and embrace the richness of my journey with Josh. Um, the short story is is that Josh was born healthy, and then at five months of age, he was severely damaged by a vaccine shot and developed an uncontrolled seizure disorder. And the amount of seizing that Josh experienced caused significant uh, neurological injury. And um, the, the cause or the result of that was that Josh required 24-hour care for the rest of his life, and and lived with Uh, Significant uh, disabilities, developmental disabilities, as well as being medically fragile. And then Josh passed away in February of 2017, which was just uh, shortly before that uh, Art of Belonging presentation. So, my memory of that evening is that I was still very much in my grief about the loss of Josh. But I was also in my gratitude because uh, what I came to appreciate is that Josh transformed me. Uh, as a father and he transformed me as a human being in a ways that I never would have imagined in the beginning. And so it's been uh it's been an incredible journey that I'm uh grateful that I got to have with Josh.
0: Thanks for for sharing um a, a bit about um yourself and and Josh, Ted and I'm curious what if, if if there's maybe points in in time or moments or experiences that you had helped to transform you and 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 your understanding of of josh and um and his and his disability and 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 that ex- you know that life experience what what was it What were those transformational moments or or thoughts or or shifts? And and maybe there's multiple.
1: Well, there was multiple, but there are a few that really uh, were transformative in that true sense of the word. So the first one that comes to mind, Eric, is um, Josh's medical condition was such that he was uh, seizing. uh, By the time he was four years old, he was seizing 12 to 15 times a day. And each seizure was 15 to 20 minutes long, and so those were excruciating uh, um, seizures to witness. Um, you, you know, I would hold my breath each time and hope that he would, he would uh, survive because the doctors had been clear with us that there was a high possibility that the seizures would kill him. And so I lived with this uh, angst, this fear, this dread, this anger, this resentment for uh, the first number of years of Josh's life. And at one point, the, I think the, 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 the suffering was so great that I felt compelled to um, try something different. And uh, in my desperation, I did something I had never done before, I went to see a psychic. And the psychic said that I could come with questions, and I really only had one question. And the question that I had was, will my son live? And so I remember sitting across from this elderly woman in her living room, and she said, do you have questions? And I said, I have one. She said, what is it? And I said, will my son live? And there was this pause before she responded. And then she she said, have no fear. The son will outlive the father as he should. And when I heard those words, this joy went racing through my heart at the possibility that Josh would survive. And, and then a second question came to mind, and that was, well, if my son is going to live, what will he be when he grows up? And again, there was this pause, and then she responded with these words. She said, your son will be what he already is, and that is a teacher. Now, I have to admit, when I first heard those words, they didn't make any sense to me. Josh's capacity had been reduced to about the level of a two-year-old. It was not expected to improve. And so I couldn't understand how he could be a teacher, at least in the way that I was considering uh, what a teacher is. But those words kept uh, sitting in my mind, and I thought about them over and over again. Um, and, And what I... What I came to realize is that Josh was here to teach me um, about being a human being. He was here to teach me about acceptance and forgiveness and gratitude and working through these these uh, human challenges that I was facing with him. And probably the event that really began uh, me on a journey of uh, transformation was uh, Uh, A story that I often tell and it was uh, uh, a ritual that Josh and I had when he was small and it was a simple one it was when I would come home from work and I would drive up the driveway he would hear the sound of my car and he would know that his dad was home and so he would run to the window that looked out onto the carport where I parked my car and when he saw me get out of the car he would yell hi dad and I would say hi Josh and I would come into the house But as Josh got sicker and sicker, the number of times he was at the window got fewer and fewer. And I always hated that empty window because I knew what it meant. It meant he was having a very difficult day that day. On this particular day, I drove up the driveway and I parked my car and then I looked to the window as I always did and I can still see his face in my mind. He was so happy to see me. He had a grin from ear to ear. His nose was flat against the glass and he yelled, hi dad. And I said, hi, Josh. But I did something different that day, Eric. I just stopped and I looked at him and I wanted to, I think, hold that joy and that gratitude and and just receive his greeting for as long as I could. So I just stood there looking at him. But something happened that I don't really know how to explain. As I was standing there looking at my son, I heard a voice and the voice was, as if it was spoken out loud. And what I heard was actually a question, and the question I heard was, when your son looks through the glass at you, what does he see? And so I thought, so what does he see when he looks at me? And the answer that seemed to be the truth was he sees a father who's angry, he sees a father who's afraid, he sees a father who's in resentment, he sees a father who's in despair. But probably the answer that I like the least is that he sees a father who's rejecting his own son, because the truth is, I didn't want this disabled child. I wanted the child that was there before the injury. I wanted the child that was there in the beginning who was healthy. And so when I heard that answer in my mind, when I realized the truth, I knew that Josh deserved better than that from me. And so I remember making a commitment that day, and I I said to Josh in my own mind, I said, Josh, I'm going to learn how to make peace with this. I'm going to learn how to accept it. I'm going to learn to claim my joy. And I'm going to learn to fall in love with the son that I have, not the son that I don't have. And so that was, I would say, if I'm going to put a stake in the ground of the day that my life began to change, that was the day. That was the day that I made a commitment. Towards peace, towards joy, towards acceptance, towards forgiveness, towards following in love with the son that I have. And so um, it began a very important journey that I'm I'm grateful to have walked down. So yes, Eric, I would say that's the event that changed my life.
0: As you're speaking, Ted, I was just thinking through, you know my own journey and and what are the things that have transformed um, or have started to transform my life. And um, it, I think first off, it it takes a fair amount of courage and vulnerability to allow those things that have been in your unconsciousness for so long to emerge into your consciousness and then reflect on them and think about what the actual truth is for you. And and to be open to accepting that, um, I I don't, you know, some people in 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 similar situations might, um, you know, might write the psychic off to to that doesn't make sense or you know that's crazy yeah, um, or that that voice or that question, you know, looking at your son through the window, um, you know, may let it pass by, but. I think it's it's important to you know let that sit in in your consciousness and and to mm-hmm. reflect on those things and to create the the space for it.
1: Yeah, and you're right. It's because, you know, when I share this story, there are people that will dismiss those experiences and 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 find them meaningless, whereas for me, they opened up possibilities for me. I mean, the truth is, is, is I was suffering in a, in a deep way. Um, and I, I, I had gotten to a place where I, I couldn't continue to suffer that much anymore and keep going. I was, I, I spent most of my waking moments, as I said, in, and either anger or fear or resentment or despair. And I knew that I couldn't sustain it. So, you know, it's the transformation, um, in some ways didn't come out of. Uh, this um, desire to do good it came out of an intense amount of suffering, but I've I, I, I've learned that um, you know suffering can be a gateway. Uh, I, I actually think that it's uh, one of the gateways to wisdom, and um, you know one of the talks that I've given on occasion uh, when I've been invited to speak is I, I talk about the hidden gifts of disability. And what I believe is, is that this journey of living with a disability or loving somebody who has a disability uh, challenges us in a way that it we're forced to respond. Uh, and my initial response was to move into those darker places. But I, I've since learned that there's also, there's a healing that comes about when there's an acceptance, when there's a forgiveness. Uh, I've made a, a conscious decision to live life from a place of peace and joy. Um and I did it because I believed that my son deserved that. I what I came to to realize is that I was serving him the best when I would hold the energy, the vibration of joy or peace or happiness. Uh, and so that changed me as a father, as I said, it changed me as a husband. It changed me as a a, a brother uh I, as a son I, I, I what i come to realize is that that made me a better person and um but i have to admit that i, I got there reluctantly or grudgingly <laughs> mm-hmm. but maybe if there's you know maybe if there's uh, some acknowledgement the ex- acknowledgement is that i did take those moments and hold them uh long enough that i i was able to derive benefit from them as opposed to immediately dismiss them or reject them.
0: A question that comes to mind is: is how? So how do you how do you shift out of that suffering state to mm-hmm. to a, a state of of joy and being present um, for the person in the way that that they deserve? So I think more often than not, it's the natural response to fall into that state of of suffering or or despair and that's not always an easy place to get out of or to shift out of and and that negative self-talk that's pulling you away from you know that that life force and, 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 you know, being that, having a feeling of, of being alive. So I'm just curious, do you have any thoughts or, or insights to, to how to, is there any tools or, or strategies or anything that comes to mind?
1: Absolutely. And so, you know, as I said, when I, when I had that experience with Josh uh, looking through the window and I made that commitment to living peacefully, joyfully, and happily, one of the one of the things that I began to do from that day on is that I began to um, take responsibility for my uh, emotional state of being, my mental state of being, my physical state of being, my spiritual state of being. What I realized, and I and I I witnessed this with uh, with my clientele. I'm I was a, a psychotherapist in private practice for almost 30 years, and one of the things that I witnessed with this human condition is that we would often give away our power. We would act as if somebody else or something else was responsible for our happiness, for our peace, for our joy. Um, you know what, I, I, I would witness other people say, well, I'll be happy when. For me, I carried around the story for the first number of years of Josh's life, I'll be happy when he stops seizing. Well, Josh lived his whole life with an uncontrolled seizure disorder. So if I continued to hold on to the story that my happiness was dependent upon his medical condition, it would have precluded me from a life of peace or joy because I had no control over his medical condition. But what I came to understand is that I could be happy even though I have a son with an uncontrolled seizure disorder. I could hold joy or peace or gratitude. Even in the midst of a seizure. And what I came to appreciate is that that was actually the, the, the highest gift that I could give Josh while he was seizing was to hold him and love him as opposed to be frantic and angry or scared or all of those other emotions. And so I would say the most important principle, Eric, is that I, I claimed ownership of my way of being in the world, um, I took responsibility. Uh, an expression I often hear uh particularly when I work with couples uh and, and and couple work is that uh an expression will be, Well, you make me happy or you make me angry. We act as if somebody else has power over us, and as long as we do that, I think we're in big trouble mm-hmm. yeah, and so probably the co- the co- probably the core ingredient of living a life of joy of peace of happiness of gratitude is. Owning uh, is claiming the responsibility. So what I came to understand is, I make me happy, I make me sad, I make me angry. Own that. Then, then the next obvious uh, question is, well, why would I? What? Why would I make myself angry? Why would I make myself sad? Who does it serve by doing that? And people say, well, you know, Ted, you know, your son has passed. You've got good reasons to be angry or sad. And and well, that is true. What I came to appreciate is that it doesn't serve me and it doesn't serve the rest of humanity by staying in that state of being uh, for extended periods of time. Do I get into my grief, into the loss of my son? Of course I do. And what I do is I don't have judgment about it anymore. I simply hold that space. But at some point it's like, okay, have you stayed in that place of grief long enough? Are you ready to release it? because I can release it at any point. it Now it is mine to claim or release. Um, as you know, I've written a book called Peace Begins With Me and I begin the book with a, a, a native story that I came across at some point in my life that really had a, a profound impact on me. And what I appreciated about the story is that it holds this deep wisdom and it tells it in such a simple way. So if I can, I'd just like to share that story. Please do. And so the story is about a, a native elder walking with his grandson. And the two are walking in peace and quiet. And then after a period of time, the grandfather interrupts the quiet and he says to his grandson, grandson, there are two wolves that are fighting in my heart. One wolf is angry and vindictive and wants to hurt others. And the other wolf is kind and loving and compassionate. And the grandson, after hearing the words of his grandfather, is filled with fear. And he says to his grandfather, grandfather, which wolf will win the battle of your heart? And the wise elder replies, my heart will be won by the wolf that wins the battle of every man's heart. It is the wolf I feed. And so what I came to understand is that at every moment of every day, I have a choice of either feeding the positive wolf or the negative wolf. And when I become conscious of that and when I claim ownership of that choice over and over and over again, my life um, becomes a life of my choosing. I believe that when we're operating at our highest potential as human beings, that we're living life as creative beings, that we are creating the next moment. Unfortunately, what I realized that I probably spent the first 45 years of my life living life as a reactive being, something would happen and I would react to it. Something else would happen and I would react to it. I fail to notice, I fail to recognize, I fail to claim that I have a responsibility in each moment to choose who I will be in this moment. So who will I be in the moment of a child seizing? Who will I be in the moment of another driver not following the rules of the road? Who will I be in the face of a partner who is struggling today with her own uh, humanity And so when I learned to claim that responsibility and that choice, life really became a very different experience for me,
0: gratefully. I I think that's a a very important um, concept that you share, that as humans, we have this very powerful ability to claim responsibility over the choices. That we make, and I really like the the native story about the um, feeding your positive and 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 negative wolf. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on over the past couple of weeks is as I've uh, experienced feeding both my negative and my positive um, <laughs> positive wolves that live in my life in my life is it's not. Um, it's not a, a straight and upward trajectory to to always having that positive wolf's belly full in your heart. So, and what I mean by that is, um, as having the the human experience, it's been very difficult to just constantly. Make sure that I'm feeding that positive wolf. Occasionally, I slip up and that negative wolf is getting fed. But the more that I'm conscious, the more that I'm aware of it, I can feed the positive wolf, feed the, you know, have power and control, um, and, and be present and, and, and live a more joyful and happy life versus feeding that negative wolf and, and feeling, um, like I'm feeding that negative self talk and, and being in a, in a negative state, and and whatnot, but I'm finding that it's there's a balance to it, and um, it's it's hard to to think that you can just focus on feeding that positive wolf, and and life's gonna be great. And I think mm-hmm. the other piece that that is important is that negative wolf is is important and does have importance because without that, it's hard to understand and really enjoy and have those joyful, joyful moments, Um, uh, you know, just on the, on the positive wolf side of things.
1: Well, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to speak to. One is, I mean, you're right. This is, it's not just uh, as easy as saying, okay, I'm going to feed the positive wolf uh, one day and then everything, everything goes well. Uh, It it takes a a deep and a persistent commitment to, to feeding the positive wolf over and over and over again and what i came to appreciate is that i believe that most of us in this uh, human experience we haven't been well uh, trained or well coached or well guided about feeding the positive wolf i realized that i was much better at feeding the the negative wolf i was much better at anger or judgment or resentment or fear Um, you know research tells us that the average North American thinks nine times as many negative thoughts as positive thoughts. Um, and what I know is we're not born that way. So our culture um, directs us, guides us, models for us a lot of negative thinking. Uh, and, and so we, we've, we've got to overcome a societal norm that uh, in many ways is not healthy. It's not responsible, it's, it, it causes suffering. I mean a simple example is I used to teach a, a personal wellness uh course at the local community college, and one of the exercises I would have students do is I would invite them to bring a newspaper and a pair of scissors to class. And then the assignment was to read the newspaper and clip out all the stories that are positive and affirming, put them in one pile, and then all the stories that are negative and fear based, and put them in a second pile. And invariably it, it didn't matter which Newspaper, magazine, uh, you could do it with radio or TV. Uh, When you you add up the piles, the negative pile is always substantially higher than the positive pile. To me, we're being fed a constant diet of negativity, uh, fear-based media that that distorts our our perception of reality. So it, it takes a very conscious commitment to feed the positive wolf. For me, one of the practices that I did is that I would I would do an inventory of my day every every evening, and so I would spend a few minutes in reflection. And basically, the question was, how did I do today? Where did I give away my joy? Where did I give away my peace, my happiness? Uh, what might I do different tomorrow to hold on to it a little bit longer? And so it was it was not meant to be um, judgmental, but it was meant to evaluate. Uh, my ability to move in the direction that I wanted to move in, and it you know over it, it took years for me to develop what I would say is what I would call mastery over that mental, emotional, and physical body. Uh, I had spent you know decades in a place of uh, with, with, what 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 I came to understand as is victimitis it's is being a victim uh, acting as if the world happens to me. Uh, and that I'm the um, the result of, of of life, as opposed to recognizing that I'm the creator. Um, so there's a transformation that that's required, but it, it requires a, a deepening commitment to it. It requires a strengthening of it. Um, the other things that I heard you talk about balance and and you know I think that the the negative wolf uh, uh, is a teacher as well. I mean I. I I, I say some of the events that show up in my life or some of the people show up in my life are what I call teaching tyrants, where they they teach us important things because, of, because, of, because they're, they are tyrants. And so, again, I go back to the phrase that I used before, is that I, I think suffering can be a gateway to wisdom. And so I've learned to take the suffering or the pain um, in my life and recognize that there's something important there for me to learn when i work with clients that uh, experience pain i would invite them uh, to participate in an exercise where i would say get a blank piece of paper and a pen at the top of the page write the statement if my pain could speak to me it would tell me and then just see what emerges and what i witnessed over and over again is that when people with do that when they would stop and pause and say what what is this suffering what is this pain trying to tell me that there was profound wisdom uh if we stop and pause and listen to our inner guidance
0: i really like the idea of the reflection act uh activity in the evening so i think that's something that uh that i'm gonna um work on integrating as a a ritual for myself um to reflect upon. You know, what moments of my day um did I embrace um joy and, and what moments of my day did, did I give away joy and and how could I do a little bit better tomorrow? I think that uh I'm interested to experiment with that. So one of the the moments in in your talk um at the art of belonging, um Really hit me, and it was the story of. I'm not sure what grade Josh was in at 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 the time. It mm-hmm. might have been. You'll you, you can he share that. Great, yeah, he was in grade seven. Yeah. Grade seven, okay. Um, so the would you be able to tell that story between between the two teachers and and selecting their class and um, and then maybe yeah. your your thoughts on that. Upon further (laughs) introduction?
1: Yeah, no, I'd be glad to. So, this happened when Josh was uh, going into grade seven. He was uh, integrated into um, his neighborhood school, which was uh, a strong commitment that his mother and I had to make sure that that happened. And um, that year that Josh was going into grade seven, there were two grade seven classes, and it just so happened that both of the teachers were men, and both of them were uh, athletes. They, they enjoyed their sports, and so they did something a little unorthodox uh, before the school year began as a way of dividing up the students between them. They, they tossed a coin, and then whoever won the coin toss got first pick. And then they alternated picks back and forth until all the students had been assigned. And I'm told that um, there were two teachers, uh, Jeff and and Mike, and uh, Jeff won the coin toss. And he looked at this list of about 70 students And as he reflected upon uh, who he would choose with his first pick. And then he eventually chose Josh. He chose my son. And the other teacher, uh, Mike, uh, was quite surprised by his selection, and he said to Jeff, you know, I haven't been around the school as long as you, and I don't know all the students on this list, but I know Josh. I mean, Josh is pretty hard to miss around the school. Josh requires the use of a wheelchair. Uh, He has an uncontrolled seizure disorder, can seize at any moment. He requires help with uh, toileting, with eating, with dressing and undressing. And so why would you choose Josh with your first pick? And Jeff was one of those amazing people that saw my son different. And he he said, well, let me tell you what I've witnessed. He said, I watch when mom and dad bring Josh to school in the morning and the kids see Josh come in the entrance and they run down the hallways and they take turns pushing his wheelchair to the classroom. And I watch how gently they take off his coat and hang it up for him, and they put his lunch kit under his seat. I've witnessed how during gym or recess that they'll change the rules of a game to allow Josh to participate at his level of ability. You know, I've watched them during lunch where they'll take his lunch kit and they'll take the sandwich out and they'll break it into small pieces and they'll put it between Josh's fingers so that he can feed himself. And I've witnessed when Josh has had a seizure and he's lying on the floor in recovery and the children will get down on their hands and knees and they'll stroke his forehead and hold his hand and they'll whisper in his ear and they'll tell him he'll be okay. And so what I witness is that they're kinder and gentler when they're around Josh. And I think that if I have Josh in my class, it'll make it a kinder and gentler place for all kids to learn. Now, Jeff told me that story in about November that year when we were chatting, and the story took my breath away. I mean, I was so moved uh, by the way he saw my son that it brought tears to my eyes. But it also moved me in another way because as he told the story, I realized that at that point I was still like the other teacher. Because when I looked at Josh, I could still only see the things that my son couldn't do. And so what Jeff awakened in me is that my son has gifts. He has a contribution to make. They look different than other children's gifts and different than their contribution, but they're valuable nevertheless. And so Jeff was really important for me to be, to, again, to look at my son with a different set of eyes and um, place my attention on the gifts. You know, I go back to the old metaphor about is the glass half full or is it half empty? And to me it's both. And the question is, do I look at the full parts or do I look at the empty parts? And what I came to understand that day from my conversation with Jeff is that I was looking at the empty parts of my son. And I'm glad that he helped me to see the full parts because Josh had, has and had lots to offer.
0: Thank you for, for sharing that story, Ted. And I think for me, why that story hit me so hard the first time that I heard it. And even now, the first time that I, that I heard that story, I realized that I was looking at people um, that, that, had a a disability or people that were, were different, uh, compared to, you know, what somebody would be viewed as, as typical was that, um, you know, I was looking at those, the empty parts, right. I, I, I was caught in, in my own thinking of of how I operated and how I need to be super productive. I need to learn as much as I can. I need to, you know, battle to say, to climb the corporate ladder. Um, That's the mentality that, that I had that, um, you know, I had bought into those societal beliefs of this is what society values. And um, therefore this is what I value. And this is how I live my life. And particularly looking then at at my sister Sarah who has um uh a disability that impacts her uh cognitively and physically. And, you know, I'm I was looking for those things within my sister and and, you know, trying to help her to develop those things instead of looking at the gifts that she truly does have. And um yeah. and it, it it was just a total shift in in the way that, that I looked at my sister and i looked at others with disabilities and even how i looked at or and how i look at my life now so and i i imagine that um other that listeners um are are hopefully doing some reflection on on you know how that this story impacts them and and to be able to hopefully look at their own belief systems as well
1: yeah yeah no, I appreciate what you're saying, Eric, Is you know, we've been socialized um, to believe that success looks a particular way, and success is about accomplishment, it's about uh, achievement, it's a uh, status, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, 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 and it's not to diminish that those aren't worthwhile goals and objectives. But I think that what Sarah and Josh and others do is they remind us that there are, there are other qualities, there are other things to aspire to. Um, and, you know, some of this, we you know, I realized that I wasn't going to learn some of the rich wisdom that I learned out of a book, uh, or, or at school, uh, from a teacher, I actually needed to learn it by being in relationship with somebody who uh, is more vulnerable, somebody who shifts uh, my thinking about, about life. Uh, uh, in the last few years I've become uh, involved with the L'Arche community and my community. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with L'Arche, it was begun I think in 1964 by Jean Vanier Uh, who is a Canadian uh, humanitarian philosopher, and he was living in France at the time, and he was uh, appalled by the way adults with disabilities were being institutionalized at the time. And so he invited two men to come live with him. And he talks about how that small act of hospitality was transformative for him, that it changed him into a better human being. And so uh, Van is probably best known for, I mean, he's written many books, but the, the one called Becoming Human is where he shares the experience of transformation that uh, happened to him as a result of being in relationship with men with disabilities. And so I, there is a richness here. Now, again, I don't want to also... Gloss over this and and act as if it's all rose-colored. It's not. This has been a very challenging journey to to have a son with the level of disability that Josh had, and I can appreciate that Sarah uh, is has significant challenges that affect her life and your life and your parents' lives, and you know this is a, a challenging journey. And all I'm suggesting is is that let's Let's not just look at the parts that are difficult. Let's also look at the gifts that can be realized out of this journey. Let's not lose that opportunity to uh, uh, experience some significant transformation as a result of this life experience. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think that if we all took that view, or the not maybe not the view the the mindset that people with disabilities have something to teach us and and to reflect on you know maybe what that means for you and to look at the world through that lens or to look at you know your son or daughter through that lens or your friend through that lens and just to see what what comes up for you and and what you see and and what you notice I think that you know with the way that our world is shifting with technology and artificial intelligence and and automation, a lot of these things that we really value in terms of intelligence in terms of productivity might not be so valuable in the future, but, <laughs> but the things that um you know that Josh taught you and that that you showed that Josh taught um in in his classroom right that he taught his peers in terms of love and compassion and among other things those those softer things in in life those things to to be um that really make us truly human yeah those are the things that i think that are going to emerge that become truly valued in society and people with disabilities <laughs> have those things to to teach and to share with the world
1: yeah you're right i mean You know, I grew up at a time when we thought uh, IQ, that your intelligence quotient was the most important thing to success. We have simply we 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 have since come to understand that EQ, that emotional intelligence, your emotional quotient is is just as important uh, in order to to have success. And so, you know, what we're talking about here is uh, having a, a thoughtful conversation about what is success? What is a successful life? And I just want to say, you know, we talk about the the gifts that people with disabilities offer, but I, to me, we need to broaden that and say everybody is a gift to us. And so I play this game in my day to day life: is that as I'm going through my day, you know, it's like, so who's going to show up today, and what gift do they have for me, and what gift might I have for them? And I, I treat each encounter uh, as as though it has the possibility of a rich return and what it does is it causes me to to appreciate to value all of it and you know whether it's you know the smile from the the cashier or, or the grumpy person or you know the person who honks his horn behind me because i'm too slow at the at the green light i mean each of those offers me some kind of a gift and and when I can live life with that much gratitude or openness to receive the gifts and to share the gifts, I mean, as I said, life life begins to have a very different flavor to it. Has a very different theme. Again, I believe that when we're at our highest potential as human beings, that we are living life as creative beings, not reactive beings. In my house, I have uh, a painting. Um, it's a painting of Michelangelo's that was on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and it's where the hand of God is extended to the hand of man, you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. And what I've come to understand is that the title of that painting is, is called Creation. And I don't know what Michelangelo had in mind when he called it that, but what I take from that is that something valuable is being passed on from God to man. And what I believe that we're being given is the the potential to create, that we too can become creators like the great creator. And so I, I try to live my life consciously and thoughtfully each day, each moment of each day, as though I'm a creative being who uh, gets to choose how to be in the next experience, gets to choose how to respond to whatever shows up. And my goal is to respond with the highest level of consciousness that I can. Um, There's a tool that I came across a number of years ago. Uh, A fellow by the name of David Hawkins has written a book called Power Versus Force. So David Hawkins has put together this uh, map of consciousness that he calibrates thoughts and emotions and perspectives on a scale between zero and a thousand. And What he suggests is the higher up the scale, the higher the vibration is what we aspire to to achieve. And so uh, peace, for example, will be 600, love will be 800, um, acceptance will be 200, uh, fear will be 150. Uh, Interestingly enough, shame is the the lowest vibration that he calibrates at 20. Now what he suggests is that anything under 200 is actually destructive, it's actually harmful and uh what i like about it is that by looking at the map it's like okay so where do i hang out where do i spend most of my time what's the number that he uh, addresses to that state of being and so i've used it as kind of an instrument to measure who i am and my way of being in the world and my goal is to hold the highest vibration that i can at all times and so i just find it an interesting um tool to to bring more awareness to the state of being. And by giving it a numerical score, in some ways it it helps to appreciate the significance or the impact that that state of being may have. Um, Now what's interesting is he said in general, the human condition is vibrating at about 175. So it's vibrating below the level that he thinks is the threshold of being uh, constructive and, and positive. And so, what it means is we have to be very intentional. We have to be very conscious in holding our state of being, because if we just allow the normal human condition to dictate that, that will often be hanging out at a vibration that's not very constructive. So it's just an idea for consideration.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I find that really interesting. I'm going to read more about it at, at a curiosity. How how do you calibrate yourself and how is how have you seen your uh, vibration or your frequency shift over time?
1: Well, again, you know, the first number of years of Josh's life, as I said, when I spent time in anger or fear or resentment, all of those are somewhere between fifty and and two hundred, and um, you know, so all, what the scale did is to simply bring some real clarity to. The fact that those states of being are not very helpful, and so what he suggests is you can't immediately leap from 150 to 600, for example. Right. You have to move up the scale. So it's like, so what's 200? Well, 200 is, is acceptance, and then you move from there into, you know, there's honoring, there's gratitude, and each of those is like 250, 300, 400, and so. Um. And. What I simply do is it's almost like a mirror. It's a reflection back to say, where, where are you at? And, uh, you know, my goal is to hold the highest consciousness that I can. And so, again, even in the face of adversity, what I try to do is say, how can I be an example? How can I um, uh, be a leader in terms of uh, how to engage this in a way that will be constructive or positive or life affirming? Rather than allow um the negativity of the world to to knock me over, and again it you know it's do I get you know the wind knocked out of me? Yeah, there are things that still do that, but i what I've witnessed is that I don't allow myself to stay in that uh state of being very long i I, I don't climb into that hole, and I certainly don't keep digging when I'm in the hole, so
0: <laughs> right, or the hole might not be as deep. So, what I mean by that, exactly? Is, yeah, might, yeah, you know, some life happens, and um, you know, you perceive it as a as a negative event, and you know, maybe uh, instead of dropping down into a, 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 a frequency of anger, maybe you you drop down to a- acknowledging and accepting the situation, right? So, it's easier to yeah. bounce back from yeah. from ac- acceptance versus anger.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he says some really interesting things. Like people will say, well, you know, is anger uh, helpful or is anger uh, unacceptable? And he said, well, by itself, that's not a very helpful question. He said "The a better question is where am I before the anger? He said, if I'm in despair, which is about 75, and then I move up to anger, which is 125, he said, you're moving up to scale. So he says, you're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But he said, if you're at a place of acceptance, which might be 200 or 250, and you're moving down to anger, which is 125, he would say you're going in the wrong direction. And so what it does is it kind of gives us a roadmap about how do we move through uh, life and continue in some way to claim a higher and a higher state of consciousness, a higher and higher state of being. And so what I'm mixing in here is some of what I've learned, you know, in my... uh, career as a psychotherapist, but a lot of it was really inspired and um, activated by my journey with Josh, who who forced me to claim this in my own life. You know, when I teach, and I I teach uh, volunteers for a number of different organizations, and what I say is your way of being is actually more important than what you do. And we would be much better served uh, as human beings if we made to-be lists every day as opposed to to to-do lists every day.
0: (laughs) I love that concept. Ted, um, there's been some awesome insights and and stories um, that you've told uh, on the podcast today. Um, As we kind of wrap up uh, our conversation, is there a, a message or... A challenge, or something you want to leave with the listeners?
1: I, I guess the first thought that comes to my mind, Eric, is for us to be gentle with ourselves, to be kind to ourselves. Um, recognize that we are on a journey of uh, of development, and so um, you know, one of the things that I believe is that we don't make mistakes; that we actually make the best decision available to us at that moment with the information, skills, and knowledge that we have. But life is a continual process, hopefully, of evolution, of consciousness raising. And so let's simply witness where we're at. Let's honor it. Let's um, celebrate it. And then let's aspire to be even better. Um, And so use the gifts of this human experience as part of our uh, transformation. and again, I think that the opportunities that come to us through our relationship with a, a loved one with a disability offer profound opportunities for us to to really um, embrace some very important uh, and powerful human qualities that can be of service to humanity. Hmm.
0: I love it. Uh, thank you, Ted. I uh, I'm super grateful for you sharing your journey um, and and your relationship with Joshua and how that has transformed you. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Ted. And um, I look forward to, to our next conversation.
1: I'm, I'm very grateful too, Eric, for all that you're doing and your passion and your commitment to this work. So thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks, Ted. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ted uh, as much as I did. And there are so many rich insights and engaging stories that, that Ted shares on this episode. So I hope that it gives you some food for thought and helps you think about how disability has transformed you or how it has the potential to transform you and maybe others around you. And to really deeply consider maybe some of those questions that that you've been avoiding, or some of those truths that you've been avoiding, right? And, and Ted shares these questions that came to him that that he considered and really shifted him in his state of mind and the way that he lives in the world. So maybe those questions are the same questions that. Ted had, had asked to him, or he had asked himself, or maybe they're different questions for you. So I encourage you or invite you to invite those questions and, and to reflect on them and to look at the glass as both half empty and half full, as Ted pointed out. The experience of, of having an individual with a disability in your life is, yes, challenging, However, it comes with great opportunity. And as Ted pointed out, one of those opportunities is to really go through a a personal transformation and to become more human and to really understand the human condition and to have a human experience. So uh, again, big thank you to Ted, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, if you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, be a part of the change. To think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability to live a full and meaningful life.